Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, we'll find out what steps Newark School District is taking to improve its special education policies. Problems uh, in reporting education plans, also known as IEPs, notifying parents of meetings. We'll head to Two River Theater in Red Bank for a chat with director Brandon J. Durden and lead actress Crystal A. Dickinson about the new production of the Alice Childress play, Wine in the Wilderness. She just really whispered in my ear, Alice Childress, and through this story, whispered in my ear that the help that you need, it's out there and it's ready for us and it is built in community. And I'll talk with legendary trombonist Conrad Herwig to find out why the Rutgers University Jazz Ensemble is so special. The students, you know, that have been here, you know, the people that have come to delve deeper in the music with these, you know, that storied faculty, it's just been phenomenal. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Newark schools are coming up short for students with disabilities. That's the word from the New Jersey Department of Education. The department found the district failed on a number of counts and it has until November to fix things. WBGO's Janice Kirkell talked to Chalkbeat Newark reporter Jesse Gomez, who's been following special education in the city. Jesse, welcome. So what exactly did Newark Public Schools fail to do for students with disabilities? Basically, at the federal level, um, the district is supposed to provide programs and services for students with disabilities. Um, and so every, every often the state comes in and makes sure that those federal funds are being used properly. Um, and so in this case, they found that the district didn't meet six federal responsibilities for students with disabilities. Um, and so they sent the district uh, a corrective action plan in June, which basically details problems uh, in reporting education plans, also known as IEPs, notifying parents of meetings, missing meetings with parents and students with disabilities. And again, this is all part of the district's responsibility mandated under the Individuals with Disabilities Act. What were the six uh, areas? So the state found that Newark was falling short with reporting requirements for IEPs. Those are individualized education programs. Yes, uh, students weren't, the, in the report, students, um, when students were moved out of general education classrooms, the district staff didn't note the consideration of those placements in the IEPs. Um, again, there's also a lot of missed meetings with district staff and parents and students with disabilities. They were also not given proper notice of these meetings. Um, and also the district didn't provide notice of um, graduation and summary of an academic achievement. So when a student, gradu a student with disability graduates, um, there should be some sort of notice of graduation, a summary of their academic achievement over the last couple of years. And that's something that uh, the state found that the district was not doing. You know, after talking with some with some members of uh, that have direct knowledge of you know the special education program in Newark, um, this is really just scratching the surface of the overall problems that the district has with servicing its students with disabilities. What, if anything, is Newark uh, doing about this? So Newark has until November first to fix their issues. So in the state's corrective action plan, it lists fixes to these six you know, missed marks. So basically, you know, the fixes include providing more training for their staff, rectifying uh, the misreporting in students' IEPs. Um, again, they have until November 1st to do it, but at this point, I really haven't heard from the district in, in what else they would do to rectify you know, these issues. 
You know, how much of this do you think is just part and parcel of the much larger problems with the, the Newark public schools? Well, I mean, there's been ongoing issues with how the district services students with disabilities. I mean, during the pandemic, we wrote about, you know, the 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 issues that families had, you know, to deal with when, you know, students were remote. So a lot of a lot of those parents during the pandemic, they complained that their children weren't receiving their IEPs uh, on time, that they weren't giving the required services that they needed quickly or consistently. Um, even before the pandemic, uh, I believe a superintendent's report in March of 2016 had said that the district was implementing IEPs inconsistently. In 2019, the state also found uh, that the district missed four key mandates related to education plans for students with disabilities. So the district has a trend of missing the mark when it comes to servicing this population. Really, when it comes to students with disabilities, it's really about providing the necessary services they need. So you know, I've talked to families and we've reported on families that were you know, looking for speech therapists during the pandemic who had uh, problems with getting their students with disabilities on school buses to get to school. Uh, you know, there's also been issues with getting IEPs on time. There has been issues with even having meetings with uh, someone in the special education department. You know, parents have a hard time just getting in touch with someone to talk about, you know, the this process, these processes and these complicated issues. You know, going through an IEP or getting an IEP created for your student is, is an arduous process, you know, and, and someone who, you know, a family member who perhaps has no knowledge into this world is really going to have a hard time um, navigating all of all of these issues with their students and more so if you know if English isn't their first language that's an even deeper problem um, so the district really has a long way to go when it comes to not only providing support but also just providing comfort for these families that you know oftentimes feel lost in this you know larger world of, of disabilities and how to navigate it could you give us an example of, of a problem had by a, a student with a disability I was able to follow a student who has autism on his first day of high school. And so his mom was very much concerned that there wasn't a bridge program to introduce him to high school to kind of, you know, ease him into this kind of new world, new new level of learning. And so, you know, these are just kind of the minute issues that really have a bigger impact on the learning of of students with disabilities and their educational environment. Chalkbeat Newark reporter Jesse Gomez speaking with WBGO's Janice Kirkell. Meanwhile, Newark Superintendent of Schools Roger Leone responded to the report, saying the failings described in it were administrative. At no point in time does this report say a student in Newark that has a specialized need was not properly serviced by anyone in Newark. None of the report says that. The audit clearly says the students were serviced. The students were serviced properly. Leon gave as an example an item involving graduation of students with disabilities. It's not that the students didn't graduate. It's not that the students weren't serviced, and that's why they didn't graduate. This item is that the case manager did not put into the file folder all of the factual documents that the parent already had. Newark Superintendent of Schools, Roger Leon. Two River Theater in Red Bank is launching its new season this weekend with the Alice Childress play, Wine in the Wilderness. Director Brandon J. Durden and his wife and lead actress Crystal A. Dickinson 
Join me at the theater before a live audience to talk about the new production. There's not much you can say about Brandon J. Durden that hasn't been mentioned in the press because as an actor and director, when you think of everything he touches, pretty much turns to gold. But you probably know that because this is the fourth show that he will be directing here for Two River Theater. The incredibly talented Obie Award winner, Brandon J. Durden. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for coming and thank you, Doug. Oh, it's funny, he's never met the person right next to him. This is, this is the first time that they have been on stage again. No, that's not true. As you know, they are married. Crystal A. Dickinson, who plays Tommy in this show, is just a super talented actress. They've worked together on many shows. But I know that this is a special one for you, Crystal, and this is a seldom scene play by Alice Childress. And you have said, you know, I didn't know if I was ever gonna get the opportunity to do this show. Why does it mean so much to you? Well, um, it's so nice to see you all again. I have to say that. <laughs> it's just so nice to be back here, you're right. Um, I actually, when I was in graduate school, where Brandon and I met, uh, my first year of graduate school, we worked on the wedding band for Seamwork. So I knew Alice Childress from that. And, um, you know, actors, young actors, we always have to find monologues when you first start out. It's a thing. And uh, when I was in school, there just weren't those that many, there was, it was hard to find monologues for black women. It just was hard. You didn't know where to go. You didn't know what to do. I spent a lot of time in the library. But I found one in the wilderness, and um, I was like, this is so great. This sounds like people I know. This, this voice sounds like something I can understand. And um, I thought, oh, it would be really nice to do this play one day. And now here it has come. But I was just mentioning um, to someone um, in the audience um, that I don't think I would have done a good a job back then when I was in graduate school. Now that I'm older and um, I think Tommy is very self-assured, very, very sure on who she is as a human being. And I, I'm, I'm just getting around to that. <laughs> so it feels like this is the right time to do it. As Tommy, do you see yourself in Tommy, or are you growing into this through the rehearsals? You know, the pandemic time has grown me as a human being, and I think we are meeting as one. Yeah. Hmm. Brandon, what does Alice Childress mean to you? Oh, boy. You know, every day it... Um that I get the, the great opportunity and great fortune to work on this play. Alice Childress means something different every day because in this hour and 15 minutes of, of, of story, there has to be no less than maybe a thousand nuggets of gold to be mined out of it. Uh, one of the things that she meant to me today, you know, through her work is is the value of community 
And we have these incredible artists that have dedicated themselves to, to this one story. And this story has given us so much more than we can ever give it. And so it's these, today she, she just really whispered in my ear, Alice Childress, and through this story, whispered in my ear that the help that you need, it's out there and it's ready for us and it is built in community. And if we just go back and, and take a look at, at her great body of work and other artists that have been long, you know, shuffled to the side and swept under the rug and ignored and, and, and overlooked, then they're the answers to the moments that we are in today. Their answers in those stories, this has been written about more profoundly than we ever could, than any of our current writers could write about. Because the, the problems that we are facing uh, as a community, when I say community, I'm, I'm specifically talking about this American community that, uh, well, the play deals with you know, this community in Harlem, but it is an extrapolation of a community that, was, that could have only been forged in America. And so, the problems that we are still facing, the, the challenge that we are still facing in this very American community, we have great thinkers and writers like Alice Childers to give us, give us um, the answers. And so she means that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. She means that there is hope for me. She means that, the, 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 that we are the people who we've been looking for. And we just got to reach back and, and be humble enough to ask for help, you know, from our ancestors. And they did their work, so we're going to be okay. But we got to, you know, we, we got to dig in and, and, and find those treasures. Yeah, and I, I, I'm jazzed about the fact, I, I love plays with history because it, rem, it reminds me that we're not alone. We're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our thoughts about how we're going to do this, how we're going to make it, how... You know, we're, even even the pandemic. It was like there was there were pandemics before. We 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 and we survived them. You know, and we made it through. But as a community, as Brandon says, so it's a good reminder to me. Set in 1964 during the race riots in Harlem, there's a lot going on outside, and there's a lot going on in this play, inside. Crystal, take us through uh, a summary of the plot for those who haven't experienced wine in the wilderness. Yes, so there is in fact a riot based on an, act, the, an actual riot in Harlem. Um, a, I think a young boy was, was shot by the police. By the police. Um, and uh, there was a riot. But that is only the backdrop to, to the play because, and I think Alice Childress did this so brilliantly because it's a way to shoot you right into a high stakes situation, right? If there's high stakes outside, then that just amps up everything inside. Um, and we are in Bill's apartment and Bill is a painter, he's an artist, and he's working on a, a three painting uh, triptych, right? About, and it's, a, it's, an it's a thought on, what is it? I don't know what oh, you black call it. Womanhood. On black womanhood, but not thought on, but you know, an expression of black womanhood his, his, in his mind. So there's a young girl, there's a, a beautiful African woman that we look up to, that, that's the standard of black female beauty, and then there's the lowest of the low, the trashiest of the trash. 
and that's where Tommy comes in. <laughs> so he's looking for a model, and his friends say, hey, we found, we found one right here at the bar where we got trapped in, so we're going to bring her over. And Tommy comes to the house, and um, they all get more than what they bargained for, let's say that, in, 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 in a good way. What's wonderful about this play is that there are so many serious aspects in Wine in the Wilderness, but there are also humorous moments. Oh, man, it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Today, Brandon says, we have in our rehearsal room, there's a mirror so we can see, you know, ourselves. And he goes, am I going to have to close the mirror? Because you were, la what, are you, what were you laughing at? And I said, I couldn't help it. I was laughing at myself. I was, <laughs> this play is so entertaining that I was la literally laughing at myself. And they were laughing. And twice today, yeah. twice today, the play stopped. Because we were entertaining ourselves with the language. But, it, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's necessary, right? Because, I mean, come on, who does it's necessary to have, to be able to find the joy in, in, in being in fellowship, not just as artists, as actors, but in these characters in the play in the middle of this riot where they don't know if their building is going to be the next one to burn down. What are you going to do? And Tommy even says it. I mean, she has a line in the play. What is I, I don't want to quote it wrong. Uh, it's sad enough. You don't need to cry. It's sad enough. Yeah. So in, in the face of this, in the face of this very scary time is... How do we access joy? How do we access life? You know, and, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think Alice Childers is so brilliant in how she understood that in order to swallow this very, very, very bitter medicine that the play does hold, that, you know, you got to give it that spoonful of sugar with the humor. And it's just truthful. It's just who we are as a people. I was going to say We're going to make a joke. Yeah, we definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It's just part of the African-American experience that you learn. humor is a great part of that culture. I guess why you would say Alice Childress and someone like August Wilson are great playwrights, because even though they wrote these plays a long time ago, they're still relevant now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we still can connect. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. You can connect to their work. Yes, um, I was just saying that I think the thing that will connect people to this play in particular is everybody, I think, well, lots of people, know what it feels like to be unseen by someone or to be perceived by someone and, have, and them have an have a idea of who you are and, and not, not have any curiosity to ask. Just make the assumption, right? And this play asks us to think about that. The next person that you meet that you don't know, how will you meet them, you know? Will you meet them with an open heart and just say, okay, whoever, it's a pleasure to meet you. Tell me about you, you know? And it just occurred to me that that is one of the lines that I say in the play, tell me about you, you know? And that we don't, I mean, it's a, it, that's a lesson in itself. That ev that's a lesson everyone can understand. No color needed. <laughs> You can find out much more information about wine in the wilderness as well as ticket information by going to tworivertheater.org. You can hear the entire conversation with Brandon J. Durden and Crystal A. Dickinson at wbgo.org.
Joining us again on the WBGO Journal is a familiar face and a familiar trombonist. Rutgers University's Mason Grove School of the Arts Jazz Program is headed by New York-based trombonist Conrad Herwig, who is one of the world's most complete jazz musicians atop both the performing and jazz education fields and has an abundance of composer and arranger credits. It's great to have you back on the show, Conrad. Thank you so much, Doug. It's great to be on BGO. Now, as a professor, artistic director, and chair of jazz studies at Rutgers University's Mason Gross School of the Arts, you are just someone that the students admire and love working with. So I know that you're excited about a couple upcoming concerts. And let's start off with the one on October 28th that's going to be featuring Oren Evans. It's going to be at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center. Tell us a little bit about the Rutgers University Jazz Ensemble's performance on that night. Well, we're just delighted. You know, it's uh, amazing to have Oren Evans is now a member of the jazz faculty. You know, he's one of the most distinguished alums in the, in the history of the university in the jazz program. And so we'll be presenting uh, our October 28th concert with the Jazz Ensemble is honoring our mentor and teacher and uh, spiritual leader. And that was the great Professor William Fielder. So every year um, for the past 15 years, we've had the Prof Fielder Memorial Concert. And, you know, it's just been a amazing, you know, gratifying musical experience to honor this great man. And um, Oren was a prof student, as were many of the legends. You know, for those of you who haven't heard of Bill Fielder, I mean, his students include Wynton Marsalis, Terrence Blanchard, Terrell Stafford, Sean Jones, uh, Mulgrew Miller, Frank Lacey, Ralph Peterson, you know, um, and Oren and just everybody. And he was my colleague and one of the big reasons why I was hired at Rutgers University. And so it's an obligation and an honor to memorialize him and to remember him musically every year. More than three decades of working at Rutgers University and teaching people about this great music. And he was actually brought to the university, I understand, by uh, Shaw University colleague, Professor Larry Ridley, and persuaded Prof to move with him to uh, Rutgers. Why is Rutgers so special when it comes to jazz, Conrad? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and I think it all goes back to, you know, the inception of the Jazz Studies program with Larry Ridley and Prof, and then uh, Prof Fielder, and then, of course, people like Kenny Barron and Paul Jeffries, you know, who played with Mingus and Ted Dunbar, and we had John Stubblefield. The alumni that we have are just, you know, so fantastic. In, in recent years, people like Rudy Royston, Jonathan Blake, Lucas Curtis, Abraham Burton, and, you know, Tanya Darby. Um, we can, Brad Lilly, you know, Sean Jones. It just goes um, back for decades. So we're very, you know, the, the students, you know, that have been here, you know, the people that have come to, to um, delve deeper in the music with these, you know, that storied faculty. Um, it's just been phenomenal. And of course, our relationship being in New Jersey, with the State University of New Jersey, 
um, we're close to New York. So now our faculty, we have Orrin Evans, you know, we have Kenny Davis, who are our guest soloists this semester, Ralph Bowen, Victor Lewis, um, Dave Stryker. It's just, a, you know, and, and everybody, I mean, we have more and, you know, just uh, an amazing um, array, amazing crew of faculty and students. So that's, that's been great. And, you know, I take this time to remember Sue Mingus and the Mingus Foundation, Let My Children Hear Music, has been sponsoring for the last 12 years, the Rutgers Mingus Project. You know, it's a really bittersweet time for us because, of course, it's Mingus Centennial Year. Um, we're also honoring the jazz bass the whole year. Mingus and Oscar Pettiford. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But we have a relationship with the Mingus family, Roberto Ungaro, who's uh, Sue's son and is now um, in charge of the Mingus Foundation, has continued to fund guest artists 10 times a year. We have members of the Mingus legacy come and all kinds of the most fantastic musicians on the planet, you know, from Wayne Escoffrey and Philip Harper and Robin Eubanks. Um, of course, Boris Kosloff, Andy McKee, Donald Edwards, Jeff Tane Watts, everybody who's participated in this Mingus legacy has come to do workshops. And so with Sue's passing, it's, it, there's an incredible sadness. But of course, there's a joy that we have to continue this legacy and just to give the music back and pay it forward. And that was the amazing thing, you know, Mingus... Charles and Sue, I mean, they're just warriors for, for jazz and freedom and, and everything that we stand for here at Rutgers University. So that's been an incredible um, relationship that we want to continue. Certainly a tremendous loss with Sue Mingus's passing, as you, as you mentioned. I want to focus a little bit on the fact that as an educator, I don't think some people realize that you're just like a coach of a of a, a college team, sports team, that each year you have different students coming in and you have to make it all mesh and work to get a successful product, a winning ensemble. How difficult mm -hmm. is that, Conrad? Well, I won't say there's not difficulties, you know. I mean, and of course, we're we're very pleased that we're sort of we see light at the end of the tunnel from the pandemic which was another situation with education just you know systemically but um the way we feel is that if you create a, a framework of gaining knowledge that then each gener you know of course want you pass the torch from one class to the other, from one generation to the other. It's what, when you have this, you know, amazing faculty, then we're able to give the students the ability to learn. You know, <laughs> we have a philosophy at Rutgers. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not the band-aid philosophy of jazz, of just learning licks and, and tunes. What we really want to teach is how to learn and you learn how to learn. And then the, the fundamentals of improvisation and composition and arranging and music business, um, 
the history of jazz. All this is kind of a holistic process of building and including our ensembles, which we've tried um, and I think we've succeeded with an entire array of ensembles. Before we go to talk about a couple of these other concerts that you have, you have the Rutgers Jazz Lab Band on the 26th, which is a tribute to Art Blakey. And then you have coming up uh, in December, on December 2nd, all these are at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center, by the way, the beautiful Performing Arts Center there. You have a concert that will be, as you mentioned, about the jazz basses. And so it's going to be a, another beautiful performance. What do you want to say about this year's group of students? We're big enough to have a lot of students. I mean, we have on any given semester between 60 and 70 jazz majors. But right now we have some of the most experienced and you know, lauded jazz musicians in the business who are here pursuing graduate studies. We have people like Eric McPherson, you know, one of, just a fantastic German. We have John A. Bear on bass. Um, Allison Yaffe is just a fantastic guitarist. And so we have these really experienced professional players that are here to get knowledge so that they're pursuing graduate studies. And then we have freshmen, you know, and sophomores. I mean, people coming, they were seniors in high school coming into the program and they're being mentored by these grad students. And so it's this mix. And uh, it's been, it's been really, re I think it's really rewarding for everybody. It's always fun to talk to Conrad Herwig. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on the WBGO Journal. Continued success and uh, wish you the best of luck in these upcoming concerts. Thank you so much, Doug. And just a shout out to WBGO, which is a lifeline and a life source of creativity to the entire community. We always are just amazingly appreciative and grateful for everything that you do to allow us as performers and students to do what we do. Thank you. You can see my entire interview with Conrad Herwig on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz station, WBGO and WBGO.org.